Hey everybody, this is Ari. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Today, I want to bring to you a recording that I was actually interviewed on another podcast, and they were gracious enough to give me the recording. It's a podcast called The Gospel of Fire. This guy, Elliot Marshall, he's a former UFC fighter and um, runs a great podcast that he's got... 225 episodes of this is episode 224 with yours truly and we get into a lot of fun things here uh and the thing that i'm most recollecting is my my thoughts on how find your passion and follow it is bad advice and uh so that's a part of it but It's kind of some of my origin story and some of my thoughts on passion and success and these kinds of things. And it was a great conversation and I really appreciated it. So I wanted to bring it to you here. So thanks to Elliot for having me on and for sharing the recording with me. As always, if you're new here, welcome. And if you're returning, hi, welcome back. (laughs) Um, If you could or we're called to leave a review on iTunes. That would help so much. Let me know what you think of the show. That's a great way to give me feedback. As well, if you'd like to work with me, I am doing philosophical coaching and have slots available for that. You can check out my website, airyintheair.com slash coaching. It has lots of information and a scheduling link for you to schedule a free intro coaching call. So thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this. And here's a little bit of music and my talk with Elliot Marshall of The Gospel of Fire. What's up, homie? Hey, man. Talk, talk. I mean, first of all, uh, your name is uh, spelled like Ari, so I called you Ari. I'm sure you get it all the time, but I like the Ari in the air. It goes very well. I was wondering where it even came from, but where the hell does Ari in the air come from? Ari in the air, yeah. So the story that I actually have been told my entire life is that, <laughs> is that and right, like this, the stories of our namesake are the stories we're told about our names, right? Sure. Um, the story that I've gotten is that as I started to go to school and people started to say my name differently than I had heard it, I came home and I said, what is my name? Am I Ari or am I Ari? And my mom told me, you tell me. 
And so without any historical knowledge of my namesake, I chose Ari. And that uh, was at the very least coincidental and at the very most uh, uh, an early trajectory shift towards my affinity for air, you know, as okay. my, you know, like my nickname as a young child was air bear. And so I was like, yeah, I don't know. It just I came mean, into it. What, like when, I mean, do you remember what your parents called you before you chose Aerie? No. Okay. No, I don't. Okay. But I do know, I do remember very specifically having one of my biggest fans and best supporters ever, who's still just a great person who just showers me with love and encouragement all the time for my athletics and my perspective and the, the, um, the things that I bring to the world. His name is Zeb. He um, is one of my sponsors. He does all my website stuff. And he uh, is also a skier. And this was before I highlined. This was before I paraglided. And I just love to go off huge jumps on my skis and do flips. And he just said, you're airy in the air. And it was just like, it took me a while to, it took me a while to, to, to swallow it, to like, to like come into it. But now at this point, it's, it's, uh, it's been long enough. You said his name is Zeb? Like the dude his fiction? Yeah. His name is Zeb. All right. (laughs) Shout out to Zeb. Shout out to Zeb. I just remember, nah, man, Zeb's dead. (laughs) <laughs> from from pop fiction so um okay but what's your story man talk talk to me about it um where where did this start for you where did this airy in the air start for you how how did it get going yeah. um obviously look uh just just from that initial story of your mom saying what do you want to be called you have a unique background because uh you know, most parents don't do that. My name's Elliot. My parents told me my name is Elliot. And that has always been my name. Like, uh, yeah, if if I came home and said, my name is Elliot, they would be like, no, your name's Elliot. So, uh, that gun, that kind of guidance is not a a negative thing for a parent to do. But, um, my origin story as it relates to my athletics starts with the nature of my family and being the middle of three boys. Um, my father was also an uh, outdoors person and loved to water ski and snow ski. And growing up, I did a lot of both of those things with my family. My mother and stepfather worked at Mount Bachelor for 15 years. And so I was uh, at the ski resort constantly. And it's interesting because like, I've recorded a podcast on this that something will just like, I'll just wear myself on, on my sleeve here for this interview. Mm -hmm. And um, I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. Most people do. Um, And one of the things that inevitably led to my pursuit of these spectacular sports is my desire to be approved of by my older brother, his friends, my father, and what that essentially looked like was a very adventurous young boy who was very air aware. Like I've always been able to do flips. And as a young kid, I would do like crazy stunts, like jumping off cliffs into water and even 
when I was made of rubber, I remember jumping off of cliffs into trees, just like jumping into trees and catching myself on the branches of trees. Like fucking Spider-Man without the spider web. Yeah, exactly. Just like kind of crazy shit. And then I think it all kind of culminated into sport on one very specific day that I remember quite vividly when my brother and his friends decided to kind of ski out on the edges of the ski resort and build a jump. And um years later, you know, I pursued a professional skiing career for quite a while after that. And so I can tell you that this jump was terrible and it was built instead of shovels. We basically used our skis and the, the, and the tips of the snowboards as shovels and like built a pile of snow. And on my first attempt, I went so fast that I overshot the landing and just went like (laughs) so high to just flat powder snow. Um, and was all smiles, but that was the first day that I did a backflip. And the moment that I landed this backflip in front of my brother and all of his friends, and they just like outrageous response that we had done something awesome kind of as a team. And that how I long had done, ago was this, what year was this? I was 12 years old. So how, what, what are you, uh, I'm 33 now. So 20 years ago. Yeah. 21 okay. years ago. I landed my first backflip on skis and got that first dose of, of it's two things. I got a dose of two things that day. I got a dose of external approvement, I external approval, uh-huh. and I got a dose of internal approval that, holy shit, I am capable of amazing, amazing things. And I also got this just lightning bolt of, wow, that's so fucking fun. That is so fun. You had a lot of dopamine, bro. You had a lot of dopamine. Yeah. And emphasis (laughs) on the dope there. That was just. Yeah. And so from that day on, um, I was trying to get back to that place that I had somewhat accidentally found myself in. Mm -hmm. Um, And. Was that that, a good thing or a bad thing? It's a sweet wound. It's both. Yeah. Just like everything. It's both. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't get, you don't get all the good. Um, so the, the desire to be approved of was both like my wound, but also was the fire under my ass that has propelled me to traveling around the world as a, you know, multi-sport professional athlete and all of these things. So it's not good or bad. It just is. It just is. So I think that that, little vignette of that day is a pretty succinct look at my origin story. That was kind of, that was kind of what set me on that trajectory. And it was, it's amazing, you know, like the next season I, I wanted to do a backflip, but like I was a 12 year old boy, like, where do I do a backflip off? What jump? How fast do I go? How hard, you know, I did it a couple of times and by no means did I know how to do it. So it, it, you know, now I'm 13 and I feel like I've, I've regressed. And now it's like, oh, I got to face all of this as a young kid. I got to face all of this shit of like, oh, I think I'm awesome, but, but can I do the thing that I thought made me awesome? What makes me awesome? Mm, What makes me awesome? Is it what I do or is it who I am? And if it's who I am, then who am I? And if it's what I do, then what do I do? How do I do it? Where do I do it? When do I do it? 
So these are big questions for a 13 year old. Oh these my were, God. They, I mean, I asked these questions when I was 36 and these, these were big questions for me mm-hmm. as a 36 year old. Yeah, um, these are existential questions. Right. So what, like, <clears throat> how long did it take you to figure out what makes you awesome? Um, I would love to just like, I would love to be interviewed on a podcast where I could feign at least for a moment that I've arrived somewhere stable in this search for my own identity and my centeredness in a deep confidence of who I am and what my worth is. But that's a roller coaster ride that I get on and off of more than I'd like to admit, Elliot. And, okay. um, but at this point, I think I want to go on the roller coaster ride. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go on it. You opened it up. Yeah. We're going to go on it. So, and we're going to, we're going to circle these existential questions of like what our life means and who we are and what our value is. Um, because that's really the deepest gift that I've gotten from all of these sports. Look, I was just about to say it, man, these sports don't really fucking matter. Like, they, they really yeah, it's don't. The most, they're the most arbitrary things. It's like yeah. you could be good at a lot of things that are much more useful than like, than like being a professional walker of a rope, which is what I am. Um, right. But, so, they, but they're a vehicle, right? They're this yeah, vehicle a, that take us on this journey to, to figuring out and answering these questions of who am I? What's my worth? What makes me amazing? All of these things, right? They, 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 they break down the barrier, right? For example, you're a professional walker of rope now. Uh, uh, does the rope walking matter? No, but the, the, the difficulty matters. The challenge yes, matters. The does. journey matters. All of this matters. Yes, so um, whether you walk across the rope, like in the moment, yeah, sure. It matters. But afterwards, no, it doesn't fucking matter at all. Yeah. You know, who is the best rope walker in 19 in, in 2017? I don't know. Do you? Yeah. So let's go on the journey. Yeah. So the, you know, what you said is that these sports are a vehicle um, for me to grow and for me to develop and for me to learn about what is meaningful in life and what my challenges and my suffering bring me as far as learning and growth and development and perspective. And that's basically, um, that's kind of my niche actually in action sports. There's a lot of people who do action sports and a lot of people who get a lot of recognition from doing very extreme stunts like I do. Um, and my niche has actually been a really thoughtful one and one where I have tried to integrate the challenges and the lessons that these sports have taught me and to bring perspective back from the void, you know, back from the edge of what is possible and what my body's capable of doing and what my mind is capable of allowing my body to do. Um, I really want to bring the perspective that, that the, the walking of the edge brings me. And I want to bring that back into my life and make sure that that's something that I like transplant into the garden that I like keep watered and like keep feeding me, feeding what, myself. So what's with. the edge? Look, what is the edge look like for you? What does it feel like for you? Um, why do you do these crazy action sports? You know, what, what, well, what purpose? Let's, let's, let's first, let's get into what these action sports are. Okay. Cause I think that 
um, I, I'm lucky enough to participate in such kind of fringe and unique um, niche sports that most people don't know what they are. And um, by painting a picture for what this sport is, I think I can help you understand what the edge looks like and what it feels like and what the lessons are. Okay. So I told you that I grew up as a skier and I pursued professional freestyle skiing for a long time after that, for the next 15 years, essentially. And that looked like going off really big jumps and doing, you know, a cork 900 and landing backwards and then going off the next jump backwards and doing a switch double backflip and landing backwards again and jumping on rails and, and skiing powder and jumping off cliffs and building jumps and all of these uh, things, which is just so much fun. It's so fun. It's so fun to be outside with your friends. It's very in touch with nature because you're looking for the right snow conditions. And at some point when I was about 23, I, we had kind of a warm winter and there were, the snow was terrible. And I saw someone highlining. Highlining is a sect of slacklining, which slacklining is that activity that you see people in the park doing when they string up a rope between two trees and balance on it. They walk on it. Uh, highlining is where you do that high above cliffs, between cliffs and over canyons and these kind of things. So I started by going to the Smith Rock Highline Festival. Smith Rock is a, a mecca of rock climbing here in central Oregon. It's actually the birthplace of sport climbing, and I grew up right next to it. So um, the where I grew up really had such a huge impact on the things that I've done in my life. Um, and so I started walking these high lines. I had been a slackliner for a long time before that. I'd been a slackliner since high school, but I had kind of lost my enthusiasm for it because it wasn't, there was no consequence. There was no fear in it. When the rope is two feet off of soft park grass, there's just really not much consequence in it. And I, as I described to you, since a young boy, I've been kind of attuned to the... Yeah, bro. So hold on. This highlining, yeah. are you not attached to something if you fall? No, I am. 99.9% okay. .9 of the time. Okay. Um, I walk with a leash. I'm tethered to the line itself. Got it. Um, your mind for a long time and even still doesn't fully grasp that the leash is there. It's hard for your mind to grasp it and your body wants to freak out and your body carries that primal fear that falling means dying for a long time and kind of still. Um, so like I said, I, I had slacklined for a long time but there was no consequence in it. And from my past as a skier, I had kind of attuned myself to the stronger flavors of life. The things that have consequence are the things that give my brain those drugs and give myself that sense of accomplishment when I do something, that I've overcome something, that I really want there to be a challenge. I want, like, I'm, I'm ready to, like, feel fear and deal with it and overcome it, right? So started highlining. Highlander was awesome. It was probably five years later that I, I had been working as a commercial filmmaker 
and me and my friend filmed this stunt by this local base jumper here. His name is Super Frenchy. And he came up with this crazy idea to do a rope swing from one paraglider to another paraglider where he would jump out of a tandem paraglider holding on to a essentially a wakeboard handle and swing from a paraglider and then let go and then fall a thousand feet and then pull his parachute and land safely. Right. Um, and this crazy stunt went down, uh, you know, four hours North of me. And so we drove up there and I saw paragliding for the first time. And we, my first time in a paraglider, I had a, you know, a red cinema camera and I was filming this stunt from the tandem seat of a paraglider. And so that was my introduction. And then that was, I think, in October. In February, I took some paragliding lessons at the beach. And by the end of that summer, I was teaching paragliding and I was fully immersed. And since then, I've traveled around the world paragliding and, um, and have flown in 15 countries on five continents and have trained in all kinds of different... Um, I saw sectors. paragliding. P-A-R-A-G-L-I-D-I-N-G. So paragliding to describe what this sport Got is. It. Yeah, okay. It's basically, um, it's almost like a parachute, but it's actually a much more complex parachute that has a much higher aspect ratio. So it's a lot wider and it's like a hang glider. More people are familiar with hang gliding and, and we use the wind to fly and um, when you learn, you're basically soaring. So you're flying on essentially a wave of wind that's getting blown up a mountain or a coastline. And you're just kind of surfing this wave of wind. As you learn to paraglide more and more, we start to fly in what are called thermals, which the sun heats the earth and the heat rises like a hot air balloon. And we turn circles in these currents of air that go up and they take us way, way, way off the ground. Like I've been to, you know, almost 18,000 feet in a paraglider and have flown more than 150 miles in a single flight. So paragliding is an incredible and surreal, and I can't emphasize surreal enough. It's a totally surreal sport that allows you to cover landscapes and do things that are just otherwise unimaginable you know, flying, flying hundreds of miles in a single flight over the biggest mountain ranges in the world um, is that's a, that's a door that's unlocked with a paraglider and a lot of training and skill and experience. So, um, so how have you made a living doing these things? Because I mean, they're, they're, they're very niche, right? And <laughs> I mean, I started in a niche sport in, in MMA and uh and jujitsu and there was no money in them and it's very hard and yeah. uh well i would say that the i would say that the first thing that comes up for me there is that the idea of earning or making a living has been hijacked by finance that that is a that is a that is a thing that refers to money. And I think how I've persisted at making as little money as I have is because I've made such a rich life doing these things, right? And I have just 
lived in an incredible abundance of excitement and energy and enthusiasm and community, camaraderie and achievement that has made the bank account uh, background issue. And but you're living in a house, right? You're in a house right now, right? Yeah, totally. And so, yeah. I mean, I, I have sponsorships and I do commercial photography and video and I make okay. some money on Patreon because I have a great podcast and a YouTube channel where I teach people to paraglide. Um, I'm also a philosophical coach. So I do some coaching for people to uh, help clarify some things in their life. Um, so I've got a lot of different irons in the fire that are the things that throughout the years, I've basically found these little niches that I do things that I'm really good at and that are relatively lucrative and take up uh, not too much of my time and are pretty flexible mm -hmm. for my schedule so that I can, uh, at the drop of a hat, because of the wind, launch my paraglider and spend the next two days trying to get home because I've flown into the next state. Right. Look, I'm, I'm a believer of, like, I only do what I want. I, I, re I very rarely <laughs> do anything that I don't want to do. Uh, and, uh, but you, ha you have to have this balance, right? Like there's, you need food, you need water, you need shelter. Um, if you want, like I have two children. Uh, they also need those things. They also need those things. Uh, they love sports, you know, like ball sports. So yeah. they are way into them. Uh, so they need and cleats and bats and balls and bats and balls and, and coaching and yep. and leagues and, and right. Yep. So like when you say make like you know uh, that's making a living. You have to. I have to make a living. Totally. So, you know. Yep. And so I've kept my my overhead quite low as right. most young athletes do, and um, yeah, through sponsorship and those kinds of things, and have made right. it go around. Um, but like I said, the one of the key things there, I've kept my my monetary overhead low and i've also kept myself incredibly enthused just by being around people who are enthusiastic and by doing things that make me feel really alive how um, did you come to this because a lot of people i did a podcast with somebody the other day um just came out like last week maybe the week before and he was like man most people they you know they say you got to grow up you got to you got to grow up ari ari elliot steve you know uh but really what growing up is, is, is it's giving up. You, you gave up on everything that you, mm -hmm. you dreamt about, care, you know, really loved. And that's how we get stuck in this depression and anxiety and regret. Yes. Like that, that's the one word that I refuse to have is yeah. regret. Yeah. So through the lens of looking at depression as what you get for being a good little boy or girl and doing what you're told instead of what, you, what really makes you feel alive, um, then growing up is definitely giving up. Right. There's a balance here. And I think that there's a lot of different uh, rhetorics that we're given in our society and our culture that are incredibly unhelpful and at the best and toxic and, and crushing at the worst. And those are things like you have to find your passion and follow it. And, and that is an incredibly harmful rhetoric towards children because our passion and what is what are the things that make us alive are emergent and we have to become sensitive to them and we can't seek them out 
as um, in as tangible a way. We kind of just have to continue exploring and stay open and be playful and also like be realistic about how our needs are going to be met. But how is that not finding your passion? Um, because finding the, the term finding is difficult there. It's, it's problematic because it leads people to search willfully as opposed to, um, being realistic about what needs they have and how they can meet their own needs and have people enrich their lives and help them meet their needs so that their bandwidth and sensitivity to what really makes them feel alive stays fresh and youthful. Right. So, um, to, and we don't have to go too far down this, but, um, and that's just kind of a pet peeve of mine. Right. Um, to are, the purpose of your life and the passion of your life is not an apple that you can bite into. It's not something that you find and you hold on to for your life. There are people who find something that lights them up and they spend an entire, most of their life doing it. Um, but that's the rare exception for the vast majority of us, our life is like an onion and we find a layer that we get to bite into and, and, and then we kind of finish that, that, that part of our life. And then we find another layer and it's this rhetoric of find your passion and, and, and follow it that beats us over the head when we're between layers, when we haven't yet found our passion when we compare ourselves to other people who have such a clear passion that they're so held on to and that they're achieving in. Wouldn't you say your passion though, is this, this extreme sport, these niche sports, like I think absolutely. The, the but sport if I has definitely changed, right? Totally. But if I, if I would have found my passion and followed it, or if I would have, tried to make my career out of it and clung too tightly onto my identity. And this is something that I did. It took me a long time for me to accept that I wanted a highline and that skiing was taking a backseat in my life. I felt horrible about it, that I wasn't okay. skiing as much as I was. Like it was, it was difficult for me to transition and open and open myself to this next chapter of my life. Because it was like an onion. I was between layers and I was clinging. I was clinging to the last layer because that was my passion. And I had found it. And I was supposed to follow it. And I my, life was, my life was trying to transition. I see what you're My saying. life was trying to transition. And, and since then, it's continued to transition. Because I, had a, I started a podcast in 2017 and it was titled The How to Adventure Podcast. Because I was going to be the adventure athlete who was going to teach people the lessons that I brought back from my sport. But then I wanted to talk about politics and I wanted to talk about philosophy. I wanted to talk about spirituality. I wanted to talk about relationships and that didn't fit there. And so, shit, man, it took me 18 months of dragging my feet and not wanting to do my podcast before I just opened myself to say, you know what? My passion right now is relationships and I'm going to let myself talk about relationships. So this finding, you don't like the definition of the word finding that what the way we're defined. It's this, so when I, oh, okay, because I, I like the find you, I like the word discover. 
discovering uh-huh. your passion. Well, there's a huge difference right there between finding and discovering. Right. Because you're constantly discovering. Exactly. Right. And discovering takes sensitivity. Right. It takes openness. Right. Because when you're, I guess I, I can just speak for myself here. When I was in school, why why are you in school? Well, you're like, you're being groomed you to be able to, to find a career that's going to be your thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life. And it's like, it just like creates this pressure. It's an external pressure that I need to do something. I need to like something. Where in reality, if, you know, like uh, if you've ever heard of the unschooling movement, unschooling is basically a, where you give a child as many opportunities to explore what they like. And when they find something that they're interested in, you facilitate the shit out of them learning as much as they want to about it. And the moment that they're done feeling excited about it, then you go back to this exploration, right? So from that point of view, I would have, if I was groomed with that, then I would have been like, I like skiing today. And then the next day I would have said, oh, I I think I actually like highlining now. But there was like turmoil in that. And it seems crazy for me to say it because like, it's like two rad sports that I like had such a great time doing, but like there was turmoil in that in my identity, right? Because this comes back to how we started. Like we kind of dove in right deep, right to the beginning. Mm -hmm. That was like, what makes me awesome? Right. Because I had built an identity around skiing, being a, a, yeah, a world-class freestyle skier that I could go off huge jumps and do crazy aerials and stomp it. Right. I had built a huge part of my identity around that since I was a child, since I was a child. And so, you know, it's, it, it's not a it's not an infantile thing to want to have a stable identity for myself and even when that starts to shift a little bit you know the 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 example i gave you with my podcast of just like the the difference in what i wanted to talk about it's it's confronting of my identity it it, it makes me ask who am i how so are I people existential, seeing me i had an existential crisis in almost the same industry yeah because i was a pro fighter you know, and, yeah. and your whole life is fighting and you beat the fuck out of people. Yeah. Right. Like, and that is a, that's a high, like no, no other for, for us fighters, yeah. like probably like yours is. And then, uh, you know, you're either the champion or you're not at the end of the day yeah. and almost nobody's the champion. 99.99 are not the champion. Yeah. And then that crumbles. And then I have my own schools now. So I'm, I'm almost in the same industry. Yeah but you're not this anymore. You're not this chasing greatness, be the man, very ego focused thing. And then, I mean, crumbled, crumbled. And I was only fighting because fighting was the first place that anybody ever liked me Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, a child. I was like, Oh shit. Somebody actually likes me. I'm 17 years old. This is the first time that that five people have liked me at the same time. And it's because I beat somebody up a little bit. Wow. And then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do this so that everyone likes yes. it. Yes. And then, which, which this brings me back to my, my, my point here is that there is a difference between what our passion is, what our innate gifts are, and our true gift to the world. There is a difference between that and what we use as a coping mechanism to make us feel like we belong. Mm-hmm. There's a huge fucking difference, man. Yeah. Like, who, like, 
like it will take me years of knowing you for me to have any insight as to what I think your real truest gift to the world is. But the difference between your passion, your gift to the world, and what you use as a way to have five people like you at the same time, those are not. They weren't. No, they weren't. They're not the five. same thing, man. Right. They're they not look, the same. But thing. they look the same. They feel. They, 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 they feel. Look, feel the big. Yes, yeah, exactly. They look very, very similar, and they, they, they make you uh, get confused on what those things are. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about when, right. you know, that first time I landed that backflip as a 12 year old kid and I got a, I got a sip of water that I was so thirsty for, right. That I right. had that approval that I had people like me. Finally, my brother was proud of me. My, his friends accepted me. They weren't trying to ditch me. They wanted to like show me off. They wanted to like brag. They were like, Oh, Ari did a backflip today. Oh my God. It was awesome. Right. And and that was just a, a sip of water that, you know, I think that at our best, we have like this eternal spring inside of us that can like self-soothe and self-validate and, and can lead us to like watering the things in our life and maintaining the garden, the ecology of our lives, the practices, the relationships, the passions, the perspectives, all these things that can guide us to being really fed and and really nourished and you know you, you know you just acknowledge the part where our stories kind of overlap that we had a sip of of water a thing that a young age that, at yeah. a young age that made us feel validated that made us feel important that made us feel loved and and that we had belonging and what our passions are and and what those things are especially like as a man like as as a young adolescent like there's no there's no small amount of of conditioning that tells me the kinds of things that I can do because realistically like man like it took me 3 fucking decades to realize how sensitive I am like I'm just an incredibly sensitive person to like so many things and so, in such a beautiful way like I'm I'm like a music and lighting and flavor expert I'm like an awesome cook and I curate great music and I make killer fucking parties and like like i'm very sensitive and i'm sensitive to conversation and people's energy and i can you know like i'm a great coach because i'm a good listener and i'm sensitive and empathic and those are things that i had to just fucking back burner because i was trying to be awesome i was trying to be spectacular i was trying to be masculine and tough and and brave and and so it's taken me a, it's taken me a long time to to sift through what I thought I needed to do and what I was doing as a way to make myself feel like I was belonging and, and finally get down to like, what is my passion? What's right? your passion? I, I think, I think that my passion is actually connection. I think my passion is actually like, maybe it's intimacy and it's amazing to think about how I've lived my life and how I've gotten intimacy from my sports, because these sports are an incredible vessel for you to see the real parts of people. Because Elliot, I'll tell you right now, man, if you come out to Oregon, I put you on a one inch wide piece of rope, 400 feet off the ground, I'm going to see a part of you that's very real. 
I'm going to see a part of you. That's look, our, our sports, my sports the same when the cage shuts and it's just oh, you and another dude. Oh yeah. Who you are. Shines. Oh, oh, exactly. Who you are. Sean, exactly. you are. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, so that's what extreme does that. You yeah. Know? And it, anything can be extreme. Uh, the NBA finals is extreme. The, is, yeah. you know, the, the, the intensity of the experience the is experience, way up. Yeah. You know, the Olympics is extreme. Everything can be extreme. That's look for me. That's the beauty of sport. It is right? the beauty of all sport is the, is the extremeness in it. I can watch, mm. uh, look, I can't play golf. I don't watch golf on Sundays, but let me tell you something, bro. Uh, if tiger woods comes back and he's in the masters on Sunday again, and he's in the cha- in the running, I'm watching, man. Yeah. I'm watching. Uh, I'm watching. I, you know, I, I, when he won the masters, I don't know when it was it four or five years ago after in that comeback, dude, I was glued glued to the television, every shot, like, yo, let's go. Cause it's extreme. It's greatness. And we love that. There's something about uh, wherever you find greatness and intensity, the human experience is drawn to it. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. And this is actually something that Jordan Peterson has talked about at length that the most innate human trait is our propensity to imitate, that we imitate, that we set an ideal. And exactly what you're talking about with Tiger is like, like we want to see greatness because we want to see it outside of ourselves so that we can know that it exists inside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That is, I love that. And I don't like, look, uh, yeah, he was wrong with his wife and he was a womanizer and all that. And that is not right. Like I'm, I'm not trying to say that that was right, but I don't give a fuck. I want Tiger to win on Sunday in, in the masters mm. in the U S open in the British open. I mm. want to see it. I, I really, well, do. I think that just, that just points to a bit of nuance inside of you yourself that you probably acknowledge that um even though you're a you know you're a you're a powerful fighter and you could do you could do you could be of huge service in that you could protect people with that but you could also you could also do enormous harm harm yeah yeah you could do enormous harm that's what you know that's the i feel like that's what's at the core of martial art is that uh, you know you should be a powerful man who who willfully has it under control. Yeah. That's another Jordan Peterson quote. Yes, for sure. Right. Yeah. You know, a a safe man is not a, is not a nonviolent man. It's, it's the man who, who is capable of extreme violence and has it under control. That's safe. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Yeah. I think, so I think a lot of things are nuanced and that's, that's a lot of what we're talking about here. Like I'm, I can acknowledge the, the poor human that Tiger Woods might be, you know, Oh yeah. He's definitely got his own, he's got his own shit. He's got his own wounds. He's got his own shadow. He Mm -hmm. wrestles with his own, um, his His own own father issues, his mother issues, right? Yeah. He's got, he's got a host of problems, but But on Sunday, he's not fucking in, he's not in family court. He's on the fucking golf course. That's where he's a master. And Mm -hmm. we want to see that excellence. We want to see see if we want to see if he can put down all that other shit that we know about. He's got it. you know, like he's got his baggage, he's got his trauma, he's got his family court shit, he's got the 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 mob of the media trying to trying to slander him. Can he put it down so that he can win? That was what the amazing thing was to me. That 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 mm-hmm. is the story, right? Because mm-hmm. before he crumbled, for example, it was all just he he beat it down. Yeah. Right. 
and he beat it down. He didn't let anybody see it. He protected the image. And then all of a sudden it imploded on him and you saw him crumble in his life and you saw him crumble on the golf course. But what that Sunday was or what that weekend was, was, was a, a man who was at the top and fell to the bottom and then climbed back up to the top. That's what's amazing. Because if like, I mean, if you're just born with it, if you're born rich, well, good for you. You know, can you be rich, lose it all and be rich again on a money sense, you know, which I I know, but golf doesn't matter either. So um, I'm like linking the two. Uh, That is, that is greatness. In my opinion, that is real, real greatness. Michael Jordan, the best retires baseball father dies baseball comes back for that short season blows it in the playoffs gets swept out of the or almost gets you know they get beat in the playoffs and then comes back to just solidify his legacy in a way that it is untarnishable untarnishable this this comes back yeah this comes back to what we were talking about that that these arbitrary games these mm-hmm. arbitrary, useless things are the vessel for us to test ourselves, for us to learn about ourselves, for us to gain our own approval. They are a game for us to, they're a c- condensed form of life. They are struggle and they are challenge. They are growth. They are practice and mastery and failure. And they're all just mixed in. And that's what's amazing. That's, that's why amazing. we do it. That's what brings that's, us back. That's, that's what why everyone watch it. That's why I want everyone to do it. That's why I do this podcast. Yeah. Is so that we can like, uh, I, I don't know, you can see it's over my right shoulder here. Uh, the white quote uh, next to the Martin Luther King one. It's the man in the arena quote. We need to step into the arena. You know, yeah. you need to step. I don't, the arena does not matter. Highlining, paragliding, skiing, golf, basketball, plumbing whatever yeah who cares just step all the way in yeah yeah it's a vessel for us to strive for greatness and excellence in our lives and it's a these vessels are also judges for us they are you know as much as they are ways that we can aspire towards things they're also ways that we can fail Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and so and we need that. We so need that. That's such a human thing. And as we've, I think that as we've moved into modernity, where our physical needs are so met for us, where the water comes out of the tap ready to drink, and the thermostat makes the house warm, um, these things used to be the arena. Well, the you arena know, used to be just staying surviving. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that at all. As a father, a hundred years ago, your arena was like keep your child from dying from tuberculosis and pneumonia because they were sleeping on something wet and cold. And like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the life used to just be an arena where we had to like fight. And now we don't have to fight. And so our lives have gotten materially a lot easier and they have gotten emotionally a lot harder because we don't have that that thing. We don't have that just constant challenge that's we're not, outside we're not of fighting. ourselves. No one's fighting. No one's fighting. Yeah, so we now, go make up fake fights. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we make we up have fake to. Fights. We have to. We have to. And so, yeah. you know, that's a, I love that. We have to make up fake fights, man. And, and we should do them in a way. We need to make up these fake fights in a way that 
um, we can use, we can have sportsmanship, right? Like, like the way in which you respect the person that you're going to try to beat up in a octagon in MMA mm -hmm. is like, man, it says a lot about your character and it says a lot about your perspective and what you think the fuck you're doing. Um, because at the end of the day, that's a, that's an arbitrary fight. Um, and so, yeah, we so need these, we need these arenas, we need these challenges and they, they give us meaning They give our life meaning. And, yeah. um, you know, my podcast I've had on the show a couple of times, Dr. John Verveke, who has done an enormous amount of research. He was Peterson's colleague at the university of Toronto, still there university of Toronto. And he has done an enormous amount of work on the meaning crisis that he's been watching sweep the world for the last 20 years and increased suicide and addiction and all these different um, metrics that we can kind of tell that people are not feeling as satisfied and fulfilled in their lives as they used to. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the ways, you know, my, my sports and the things that I've done outside are the way that I've hedged myself from that. And uh, like I said, it's a roller coaster that I'm off and on more than I'd like to admit. Um, but at the end of the day, being outside and moving and um, being scared and working through that are the things that kind of give my life meaning and purpose um, inside of myself. And then my the depth of my relationships and the depth of my connection and the way that I can be of service. And um, those are the ways that I kind of that's the arena that I make yeah. when I'm inside. All right. I have two questions I like to ask as, as I end my podcasts. Um, a guy called Jari, I'm sorry, Ari. Um, one, why do this? Like why, why I come on the podcast because this podcast, because no one's going to listen really. Like when you look at like, you know, the population <laughs> of the world versus how many people are going to listen, um, you know, there's 7 billion and maybe we'll get seven. I hope, I hope we get more than seven, but you know what I'm saying? Right. As yeah. far as, you know, the percentage might as well be seven when you compare yeah. there's, I'm not Ferris. I'm not Jocko. I'm not Joe Rogan. I'm right. So it's an hour of your day. Everyone's time is very valuable. Um, we, we, you never, you will not get this hour back again. So why did you say yes? And look, we even missed and you rescheduled, we rescheduled. So like, what's up? Yeah. So The answer to that is what I told you was like my real passion was connection. Uh -huh. It was intimacy. Uh -huh. And that is experienced in my life in no small part by earnest conversation where people are in good faith wanting to listen and exchange and share in good faith, that's an incredibly intimate and uh, uh, a wonderful experience. And typically, podcast is a space that um, is, you know, it, it it lends itself to that really well. Right. And so, um, so I had a, a pretty strong feeling that that's the experience I was going to have here, as well as the. Like dialogue is an art, like how you listen, what you share, how you 
tie things together as you come into dialogue with a person who has a different perspective than yourself is an art. And it's an art that I think of myself as an artist of. It's what I do on my podcast. It's what I do in my coaching practice, right? How I listen, how I reflect. Um, that is all a very fine and subtle nuanced thing that I, uh, that I love to do. And it's something that I, that teaches me so much, right? So as I talk through my own story, I, I learn about myself and I learn about you and, and we get to tie things together and, and create a, a, a slightly different perspective than I had, right? Yeah. Last one here. Um, I believe everyone has this unique thing about them. This thing that they makes them amazing in the world that not much, like, again, not money, not fame, not nothing, but it's what they give to the world. What, what would you say that is that thing, that power that's amazing about you? Hmm. Cause you said it a couple of times, you know, this search of amazing. Yeah. You know, I, I think that Hmm. That's such a, that's a difficult question. And I, I feel like <laughs> deciding, like deciding what it is and what the thing really is like telling you, this is almost like the, the eternal Tao is not the one that you can name. Right. So like the, 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 the special slice of God that I have, I'm not sure, man, I think it might be sensitivity. Okay that amidst all of the intensity of my experience, whether it be emotionally inside of relationships or emotionally inside of these incredible uh, stunts and, and very intense moments that I can still be sensitive to the texture of my own experience. And that's something that I can give to other people through dialogue and listening and relationship. So I think that that's a, uh, something that I've been curating in myself for the last number of years as I've felt safer and safer to be a sensitive man. Yeah. It's hard. It's not, it's not cool to be sensitive in, in male. No, you know? it's, it's a lot, it's a lot more uh, mainstream cool to, to be able to punch somebody in the face and tell them to shut up. Yes. Which is the last thing we have to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we have a saying, or, you know, my friend and I have a saying, walk softly, but carry a big stick. Yeah. You know, so the, again, the ability, with the stick, but moves, moves soft. Yeah. Um, Ari, thanks so much. I appreciate yeah. you coming on. Um, yeah, Elliot, it's been tell fun, everyone man. where they can reach you and if they want to find out more about you or, or anything it is that you do. Yeah. So, um, I'm Ari in the air on all of my social media platforms. That's my YouTube, my Instagram and such. And then they can visit Ari in the air.com if they want to sign up for my newsletter or check out my coaching practice. That's Ari in the air.com. Thanks, Tommy. Guys, Thank as you. always, Ari has his own unique power, his unique thing, his unique gift, his, his thing that he gives to the world. Uh, I have my unique thing, my power. Don't go out in the world and try to be Ari and don't go out in the world and try to be Elliot. Please go out there, everyone, and find your own power. Okay, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. I really love being interviewed on podcasts. It's like such a different energy that I get to kind of like express. I get to kind of flow a little bit differently. I don't have to like worry about holding the thread of the conversation. I really just get a kind of jam. So super stoked to bring that kind of thing to you here because I don't usually do that. So 
Thanks for listening. Hope this was helpful. I would love to work with you if you're looking for some support in your some support in your life and you think that the power of dialogue and inquiry could be helpful, then head on over to airyintheair.com. You can sign up for my newsletter or you can schedule a free one-time coaching call with me. It's not a sales call. It's actually just a real coaching call. Would love to see you there. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Es el final del sauce, es el final del sauce.